a good morning <clears throat> to the Driven Church. And uh, I tell you what, uh, we, we have so many things to be thankful for this morning, right? We could kind of itemize that if we wanted to, right? You know, the whole count your blessings kind of thing. Uh, Thursday morning, uh, Dwayne, my brother Dwayne and I were out here uh, redoing the landscaping around the sign out, out front here. And uh, we, we were out there and whatnot, and, and a phone, my phone rang, and I picked up the phone. It was my daughter, Taylor, and Taylor said, Dad, have you seen the family page? I said, no. I said, uh, I've been out here slaving in the rock. You know, no, no, I haven't had time to be on, on Facebook. Uh, uh, wh- wh- what's going on? She said, you don't know about Ben. In the back of my mind, I was thinking, I know a lot about Ben. <laughs> what about Ben are you referring to? And, and she said, uh, Darcy said, for us to pray, said he's been in a bad car wreck. And immediately, you know, a small creek rock really didn't matter. You know, the sign really didn't matter. The grass really didn't matter. And so I began to try to get in touch with you guys. You know, and, you know, I'm sure they, you know, uh, they wasn't waiting for the phone call for me. They had things going on, right? You know, and so, and, and, and then I just said, Darcy, a text that he called me as soon as you can. And, and so I started getting information. We began to communicate a little bit and began to understand the scope of the way things were. And so uh, when things were kind of settling down and I knew the extent and I got the pictures and, uh, you know, and listen, man, if I were a little kid, those would be my show and tell pictures, man. I'd be taking those jokers to school. You know what I'm talking about? I'd be saying, look at my dad. You know what I'm mean? He's tough. You know, but when I, when I got, the, got the pictures um, and things, I, I understood the extent or to some degree the extent of the injuries. And, and they're, they're pretty extensive. Uh, what, you, what you can see is just the surface stuff. But, you know, a fractured back and and other, other contusions, lacerations on his head and whatnot. Uh, he, he sends me the pictures, and, you know, it looks like somebody's gone mad with a staple gun or something other. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, oh, my goodness. And, and so I, I, I thought they were already on their way home, so I was going to get there to their house, and I was going to meet them or at least uh, visit with them for a few moments. And, and so I pulled up, and, and no one's home. They're not home, that is. The, the, the rest of the family is. But... Uh, so I called them, called Darcy back, and Ben answers the phone. And he'll tell you, um, I, I went to try to express a few things to him. And much like right now, I, uh, Frankie, I had to kind of regain my composure. You know, he may have thought the, the call had dropped. You know, I just couldn't talk, you know. And I just kind of had to choke some things back. And the reason being is, as you know and I know, life can change like that. I mean, just like that. They were planning a birthday party for Ben Saturday. In a matter of seconds, you can go from planning a birthday party to planning a funeral. Except by the grace of God, Kev. And so I say all that to you to encourage you. This has nothing to do with the message, so 
you're not getting a short abbreviated message. This is just an addition, and so you know you'll just have to deal with it today, okay? And uh, but I want to say to you, carpe diem, seize the day, seize the moments with your family, seize the little things. Do not become so distracted. And Ben had told me, he said, when the older gentleman pulled out in front of me, he said, Trent, I had a great sense of clarity of what was going on. And I knew if I T-boned his car, the old gentleman would be dead. He said, I could see, I, I could literally process all that in a matter of microseconds. He said, so I, I swerved. And he said, I was praying as I was going to work. He said, I was having a good day. Sun was out. It was a beautiful day. Wind was down. I was enjoying the morning, worshiping. And he said, in those microseconds where that car shoots out and it hits me and the roof collapses and lacerates my head and blood is pouring down my face and I don't know, my back is in excruciating pain. He said, in those moments... The ancillary parts of life meant nothing. The only thing I was thinking about was my God and my family. And I think we would do good if we could somehow balance the nuances of life with the very, very important things of life, that being your children, that being your family, that being your God, that we would keep that focus, Jay, because as much as we can celebrate today, and this is a day to celebrate and give thanks to God for looking over Ben, and I am so grateful. It is inevitable, as Thanos would say, right? It is, death is inevitable. And there will come a day that the people that you love most, that you wish you could speak to one more time, will no longer be in your company. And so it's not a morbid idea to, to, to consider that thing. It is a, just a, a reminder to grasp these fleeting moments as our children grow, as our children leave, as our families expand, as things are happening. Around. Take that in. Take it in. Don't miss it. Do not miss it. Do not miss it. Amen? Amen. Okay, Exodus uh, chapter 15. Uh, last week we had just crossed the, the Red Sea and we had gotten into what the scripture refers to uh, or what we refer to as the song of Moses, the song of the sea, or the song of Moses and Miriam. And we had gone through this entire song and we had concentrated and focused on a few things that Moses had focused on in leading the children of Israel in this song. And one of the things that we identified uh, was the fact that Moses in this song of worship and praise focused and identified uh, the actions of God and never, never even hints uh, to his own activities with God. He wasn't praising himself what God had used him to do. He wasn't exalting himself, but he kept his focus on God. 
And we, we read through that scripture and we identified a few uh, key uh, elements that we could apply to our own lives being that would help us navigate our lives on a spiritual level that would help us to be able to produce in our lives and things that we could kind of embrace. And, and the song ultimately ends with a prophetic word about what God was going to do in the future. What God will do. And, it, and it's over and over and over again. These things, these activities, this prophetic word that Moses is speaking in song and uh, uh, it's the confidence that we can have in God when distance isn't present in our relationship with God. When intimacy is intense. You know what I'm talking about? I mean intense. That we can have a confidence in the thing that God is saying to us about the future, even if the future involves some level of conflict or even a hostile response from the people you may be engaging. When we know God and we're intimate with God, we're able to embrace that and even glory in the thing that God is going to do, even though we know it may entail, to some degree, some difficulty. And this is what Moses was singing. And then that, that chapter or that, that portion of the song actually ends with Miriam, and that's the first time that Miriam is actually identified by name when you read that. It's the first time she's identified by name. And Miriam pulls out her little uh, uh, tambourine, if you will, her uh, little timber. And, and uh, uh, she begins to, to play that along with the women of Israel. And one of the things that always caught me when I read that scripture is the fact that when they're leaving Egypt and they're directed by God to take silver and gold and the women to take uh, even fine clothing or materials, uh, that meant at some point, instead of grabbing silver and gold and fine materials, which they could have grabbed more of, the women of Israel decided that in their uh, uh, backpack or in their luggage, they were going to make enough room for this timber, for this tambourine, if you will, with the anticipation that it would be a useful tool down the road when the moment arose for them to worship God. There was literally an expectation that this would be needed once we got out there. That's a pretty powerful thought, right? It's a pretty powerful thought that they're leaving, they could have grabbed silver or gold rubies, but instead they grabbed an instrument of worship and praise, knowing when that moment arose that they would be adequately equipped to respond to God with this, uh, uh, this form of praise. It's a powerful thought. But for them to do that, they had to kind of turn their hands over to some of that silver and gold. They had to let other things go to embrace the future worship, right? And so uh, that's not even part of the sermon. We're moving on from that. I'm, not, I'm just dropping that on you. I'm just saying, hey, consider that. And that is where we find ourselves today in Exodus chapter 15. And we're going to move from that, Mike, okay? And we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 27. That's not a lot of verses. That's not the equivalent of a short sermon, but it's not a lot of verses. So let's read. Let's read that. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? 
Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instructions for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam where, they, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there near the water. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, may we navigate this scripture. May we extract from it to the benefit of our hearts and our minds and our relationship with you. May we be thankful people. May we be found, discovered, and changed within the text this morning. Each of us, myself included, may we all be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the things I want you to understand is we got to verse 27 right there. Where you, where you find yourself with 12 springs and, and 70 palm trees, there's this question that I would ask, and you probably would as well, and that would be this. God, why didn't you just take them to Elam to begin with, right? Why, why even navigate the difficult road? Why even go through the difficult place? Why even encounter or have the experience of, of morale? Why, why all that? Why not just get us there? This is a reassertion of what we've already discussed in prior messages, and that is this, that the value of the journey isn't always found simply in the destination, but it's in the things acquired in the journey, right? This is a perfect example of that. And let me tell you guys this as we open this scripture up. Whenever God is leading us, we must have our eyes open and our ears open and our hearts receptive because when God is leading us, leading you, leading me, Nathan, leading each and every one of us, class is always in session. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is always about doing something in our lives, through our lives, uh, through us and in us. Class is always in session. You with me? So let's look at this verse. Let's look at this. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert, sure. Now this is kind of ironic, right? There is an irony because Moses' name means this. What? That was drawn out of the water. That's what his name means. The one that was drawn out of the water, or just drawn out of the water. So the one that was drawn out of the water had led them through the water, and was now being criticized for not leading them to drinking water, right? So there's kind of an irony that's playing out right here. But I want you to understand when it says Moses was leading, it isn't really Moses leading them. Moses is being led by God, and they are following Moses, the instrument who is actually representing the guidance of God in their life. So it's God ultimately that is leading them. It is God ultimately that they are following. 
Now, whenever we read the account in, in, in uh, uh, Exodus regarding the Red Sea and the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire, for some crazy reason, we think once they get over the Red Sea and that whole thing is behind them, there's no longer a pillar of fire or a pillar of smoke. But that's not what the Scripture teaches. As a matter of fact, the Scripture, the scripture would teach that it wouldn't leave them. That's what the Scripture actually teaches. And until we know that the Spirit has left them, or the, the cloud, or, or the, the pillar of fire has left them, we have to operate under the assumption that it is still leading them. As a matter of fact, when you look into Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 19, it says this of God, Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By the day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine the way they were to take. And then in Numbers chapter 9, verse 17, the pillar of smoke is still present. Matter of fact, it's, it's, it's residing uh, over the, the tent of meeting, right? And this is what the scripture says. This is how they were guided by God. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. So whenever the cloud, the pillar of cloud was moving, that's how they knew. That's how Moses knew. Man, if you got up and this thing was moving, you move. If this thing ain't moving, you stay still. Now, there's something to be said of that for you and me. Why are we in such a hasty uh, uh, posture, position in our spirits to always be moving when God isn't moving us? As though there's something wrong in sitting and encamping in the place that God's presence resides. Even if it's not feeding your need to be active. I remember we, the first time I'd gone to a, on a missions trip. And we're down in Honduras. And I remember the moment I got there, Danny, some of you guys were with us. I'm a go, I'm a go guy, right? You know, I'm a little wired up. Sometimes when I'm always got my hands in something, doing something. I'm a go guy. So we get down there, and the whole culture up in this mountain in Cachillas, I'm telling you, we're, I mean, only God can find you in Cachillas. I'm telling you, we're lost up there, man. We're up in the mountain. You know where I'm at, Jay. We're in the mountain. I'm lost. And the whole time, Aaron, that I'm lost up in these mountains of Cachillas, I'm thinking, what can we do for these people? I've, I'm here to bring a clean coat of paint to these buildings. You know, like they really needed that, right? Like they couldn't do that. I'm here to fix this. I'm here to fix And I'm telling you, and I remember saying to some of the people, that I'm wanting to fix the buildings. I'm wanting to change this. I'm, whatever they needed me to do, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I was ready to go. And one of the gentlemen told me, he said, hey, whoa, Trent, stand down, brother. Sit in what God's got for you down here. Sit in it, man. Listen for God while you're in here, down here. And everything in me wanted to go. But what I really needed, Jay, was to sit. Even though it was contrary to my personality, my whole mindset, my makeup, and everything else. It was most beneficial for me to sit in the presence of God and really hear him that one week that I was isolated from the rest of the world, basically. And so you begin to understand the value of sitting in God. It doesn't mean we're lazy in God. Sometimes God says sit. And then when the cloud would move, they would move. You and I need to be responding to God in a similar fashion. When he says to you, Kevin, sit in this spot, serve in this spot, you should not leave that spot until he says to leave it. 
I hear people tell me this all the time, and you guys have heard me say this. I don't know what God wants me to do. I said, well, what was the last thing God told you to do? Continue doing that until God tells you to do something else. It isn't that God has forgotten about you. He has assigned that for you. Be there. And when the cloud moves, the spirit moves, then move. And so God is leading them. Moses is the instrument. And this is what the scripture says. It says that God, or through Moses, led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. Okay? I want you, now this doesn't look like the ideal place. Why? Because the scripture says for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. This doesn't look like the ideal place for God to be leading them into. And there's times in your life where you think God is leading you into a place that doesn't quite fit your agenda. This don't fit. You know what I'm talking about? It's like like that four-finger glove. You know what I'm telling you? You're like, man, no matter how hard I try to put this on, this thing just don't fit me. And sometimes we look at God and we think, God, maybe that's the wrong glove and you just haven't figured out what my hand looks like. Right? Sometimes we think like that. Now, there's a scripture in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, that we're all somewhat familiar with. And it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. What I want you to understand is this. When God is leading you and God is leading me, even the bitter places where it doesn't seem like it's really appealing to everything about your fabric, or the fabric of your person, even those bitter places must yield a benefit to us because he does not lead us aimlessly. There's always a purpose in the leading of God, always. And when it says in Jeremiah, for I know the plans, the Hebrew makashavah literally means plans, literally means this, a cunning work or curious work. Now I want you to think about when you read that scripture. For I know the curious work I have for you. I know the cunning and crafty work. This isn't a passing thought in God. This is a curious and cunning, constructed work, plan that God has for us. So when we think we're out there and this thing looks like it's discombobulated, understand there's a curious work that God is working out. Curious. And listen, let me say this to you guys, because I need it said to me often. God's leading doesn't always make sense to you and I, right? Come on, man, you know what I'm talking about. In hindsight, sometimes, Jay, we look back and we can see it much more clearly. But when we're in it, Ricky, sometimes it just don't jive with us. It doesn't always make sense. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we know what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your what? Your own understanding in all your ways. Submit or acknowledge him and he will what? Make your path straight. And it's all contingent on trusting him and not trying to always figure things out. You with me on that? You understand? So he's leading these guys. And they end up coming into a place, as the scripture says, after three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marab, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, 
what are we to drink? Now, listen, I want you to put yourself in their place. All right? It had been three days since they had found water. Now, what I'm about to tell you, you're going to have to think with me on this one, okay? There's something happening here that we don't get just reading this. And that's where we're working towards. The scripture doesn't say it had been three days since they had had water. What the scripture says is it has been three days since they had found water. Now what's taking place is whatever water they had come out of Egypt with was being consumed. Not only was it being consumed, it was being exhausted. Now you guys know and I know, we've all been in science class, biology class and so forth and so on. You and I both, there's no, no, no special people in here. About three days, man, without water is about our limit. We will expire. Our expiration date after three days uh, without water is absolutely certain. So what they're doing, they're consuming the water they, that they've had. They've gone three days without finding water. And all of a sudden, this thing can, can become pretty scary, can it not? Now, you've got to be honest when you're assessing these cats because these are normal people. You see the supply running down. You've got children. You've got livestock. And you see the water consumption diminishing. Now, if you're a parent and you're watching this happen... Believe me, it's one thing for you to suffer without water. It's a different ball game when your kids start to suffer without water. You know what I'm saying? And so this is taking place. Now, can you imagine this first person who sees the water and mirage? Can you imagine that? It's like a mirage almost. Hey, man, I see water. I see. And then they get up there. There's the life source. Maybe they can re, re, resupply their, their, their water supply. And they dip into it to drink the water, and it's bitter, undrinkable water. Now, I don't know what would be more uh, disheartening, not to have any water or to find water that looks good that isn't good. It's bitter, undrinkable. Now, listen, when I was a kid, we had 13 kids. Right, in the family, you guys know the story. I'm just going to start, I'm going to have a little thing flashes up there with those, so I don't have to say it anymore. Trent, 13 kids, poor family. Okay, and I remember uh, my mom, uh, on occasion, she would uh, uh, find herself in the town, and if there were a few extra dollars, uh, she would come home with those raisin cake, little Debbie's. You know what I'm talking about? Nutty bars. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe a star crunch if they were happening then. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you know those, those Christmas cakes? The, you know, I'm about to get lost on this sermon. I'm going to start talking about Little Debbie's. Right? I'm kind of losing my mind. I remember she would bring, and, and because there were so many kids in the house, whenever that package would be open, uh, man, you got yours as soon as you could get it. Because you knew Dwayne or somebody else was going to come behind you. They are going to get more than they should get. He'd get two or three cakes. You don't know. You just didn't trust anybody. So you got to the cakes as soon as you get to the cakes and you ate the cake that you could eat. And if for whatever reason, an extra cake was left over. Hey, that was God's provision. You took that as a blessing and you took that cake too. And I remember one time when I was a little kid, 
I'd gone in to where my aunt, my aunt kept the cooking supplies and, and the food and whatnot. And I'd open up that cabinet and I, I saw something in there. I was like, did everybody miss this? It's like a big Hershey's bar. And I'm like, how did all of these ragged muffins I live with miss this Hershey's bar? And I'm going, you're talking about God providing. I'm like, this is beautiful. No one knows it's not been touched. And when everybody's gone, man, I peeled that package over and I broke them bars off. And I was grit. I remember this. And I bit into that. And you know what it was? Baking chocolate. <laughs> and it was disgusting. It was putrid. It was absolutely nasty. It was bitter. It looked like chocolate. It had the texture. It had everything that my being desired until I bit into it, and then it was disgustingly bitter. This is what they were experiencing. And all of a sudden, they get to this water, and it isn't what they had anticipated. It isn't what they had anticipated. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Now, we are three days removed from potentially the greatest act of God's deliverance found in the Old Testament. We're three days removed from the Red Sea parting. This is one of those moments where we find ourselves absolutely leaking of our faith, right? Right? In that moment, three days removed from the parting of the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, because water is getting a little low, they forget who God is, right? And they start grumbling, right? Wanting to know, what are we going to drink? And in that moment, their circumstances, right, reveal who they are and what's really going on inside of them. And our, our circumstances don't so much make us as much as they reveal us. You know, and there's times in our lives when circumstances are such just to open ourselves up to who we really are or who we're really not, right? Sometimes that can be painful, can't it? When you really think, man, you've ascended to a different place, you've matured to a different place, you've worked out a few things, and then all of a sudden the curtains open and you're exposed like eyes. You're like, oh man, shut the curtain. Shut the curtain. And in this moment, the circumstances reveal the condition of their heart and the condition of the heart of many of these people were though, was that of lacking trust in God. And so the scripture says that the people grumbled against Moses. Now in the Hebrew, the word grumbled is the word loon. Loon. And it means, I want you to get this, it means to lodge, as in lodging for a night. To sit in, to rest in. Basically what they were doing, after three days of not finding, they'd become pretty upset about some things. And they decided that we're going to grumble a little. And not only, not only are we going to grumble a little, we're going to unpack 
in this grumbling, and we're going to sit in this for a little while. And we're going to let our, our, our feelings be made known. And we're going to grow. We're going to loom. And there's times in our lives when we want to grumble. And we want to complain. Man, we just want to be heard. And we think that once we're heard, it's going to make everything right. The problem with these people is once they grumbled, they were still just as thirsty. This need was still just as present. And when we loon and we rest and we unpack and we take our position in our grumbling and our complaining, and we begin to speak these things, you're not getting that back. Oh, you think it'll make you feel good. It's like a pressure release valve. I got you. But you'll never get that back. The wounds that are caused, the pain that is caused, the trauma that is caused, for that momentary brief rest in your complaining will do such extensive damage that in your right mind and right spirit, you would say, at the drop of a hat, I'd give up that moment of relief for a moment of restoration from the words that I spoke. The situation is this. When things are dire, when things are dire, it's more about how we're going to respond to those things that make us who we are. I think it was Chuck Swindoll, and I, I wrote it down here. I think it was Chuck Swindoll, uh, Swindoll who, who basically said, life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. So here in this moment, here in this moment, they have chosen to grumble and complain Against Moses. That's how they chose. Now listen, Moses is in the same spot. Do you think Moses isn't watching the water run dry? Do you think Moses isn't watching the calamity unfold? Do you think Moses doesn't see this? And they're complaining to him. And in that moment, you realize something about these people. And it's this. These are either worshipers who complain a little or complainers who worship a little. One or the other. And you and I will be known as such. You and I will either be known as worshipers who complain. Because listen, we all have the propensity and the capacity to complain. If there's anyone sitting beside you who never complains, raise your hand. How dare you judge your neighbor? Right? Oh, it's a joke. Listen, listen. We all have that capacity. Do we? Mom, dad, Aaron. Aaron, has Lisa ever complained? He said, why are you putting me on the spot, Trent? Put Ricky Lowell on the spot. You ask Kerry Evans, has Trent Evans ever complained? Of course he has. Every person in there has complained at some point or another. That doesn't make us complainers who worship a little. This is what I want you to tell. Real worshipers will receive grace in their complaints because their lifestyle of worship is the identifying attribute in their life. People will look at you when you're a 95% worshiper and the grip of reality sets in on your flesh at times and you complain. People will have grace towards you. We know this to be true. We know this to be true. But real complainers will be dismissed in their worship because their lifestyle of complaining is the identifying attribute in their life. And you know what I'm talking about? 
You know what I'm talking about. That joker that complains 95% of the time. And then they want to talk about the faithfulness of God. And I'm like, what? What? You know, I, I feel, I, I'm around you so much, I feel, I feel like you're sucking the life out of me. You're like a spiritual parasite. Every time I'm around you, you're complaining so much. I mean, the life force is drained out of my being, being around you. And now you're going to talk to me, and, and you just give them that sneaky spiritual like, what? You know what I'm talking about. Straight up, right? You know what I'm saying to be true. This is real stuff. This is real stuff. The question that you and I have when circumstances are really pushing and pressing us is how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to respond? Are we going to allow the worship in us to override and the reality of God to override the difficulty? Or are we going to allow the difficulty to override our worship of who God really is? We have a choice in that. The children of Israel in this moment complain but then Moses in the same situation, he has an option. He has a choice too. And this is what the scripture says. When they, they say to him, let me, let me say this. What are we to drink, right? Now this was a legitimate need. We're going to get back to Moses. This was a legitimate need. And a lot of our crisis situations are legitimate, right? They're all, they're, they are legitimate. They are legitimate. But their response recognizing that they had the need to drink, the need of water. Their response was to complain. Moses' response was different. His response was to cry out to God. Listen, if I'm going to be a Hebrew, give me a Moses in my life. In those times, man, when I let the complaining overwhelm my worship, oh God, give me a Moses. Give me a Moses when I don't have the intestinal spiritual fortitude to cry out out of my own initiative. Oh God, give me a Moses who will cry out for me. Give me a Moses who will intercede for me. Give me a Moses who will pray for us. And they complain to him, and his response to them is this. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. <laughs> when we don't have the answer right, we need to humble ourselves, don't we? And seek the ultimate source of wisdom. He cries out to the Lord. Uh, maybe you can help me with this. Get to me after the service if you have an answer that will help me navigate this. I don't know why it is Moses cries out to God because I'm assuming at that moment Moses don't have the answer. Why is it so hard for you? Why is it so hard for me, Christy, to just say, I don't know. Why is it? Why is it so hard for us, Leslie, just to say, I, I don't know. Let's pray about it. Let's seek God. Let's pursue Him. Let's pursue Him. Let's ask God for wisdom. Let's ask God for the answer to the question that we have no answer for. Let's ask God. Why is that so hard for us? But it is, isn't it? 
And so Moses cries out to him. And the Lord, as he does, does with Moses, he does to you and I when we cry out to him. He answered him. He cried out because he didn't know. He had all these people. Notice he didn't say, somebody grab a shovel, let's start digging for whales. He cries out to the Lord. And the scripture says this, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. <laughs> no, Lord, I was wanting a water spigot. I need a water supply. I don't need a piece of wood, right? Sometimes, that's how, that's how we respond. God, we were pouring our hearts out, Amy, to God. And then God said, well, here's a piece of wood. You're like, I'm not hungry. I'm thirsty. That's not the answer, God. That's not the answer I'm looking for. And it showed him a piece of wood. You can imagine. I don't know if the people were watching Moses as he cries out and God speaks to Moses and says, there's a piece of wood. And God, and Moses turned around and looks at the people and says, hey, calm down, the answer's come. I found a piece of wood. And sometimes when we share with other people the answer God's given us, they're going to look at us and say it makes no sense at all. That's crazy talk. You're, cra you're crazy, Trent. You know what I'm talking You're crazy. And so God shows him the answer. And this is what the scripture says. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Right? That's pretty, pretty remarkable, isn't it? But here's the question that I have when I read that text. Is, why not just give me clean water? Why do you want to fix the dirty water? Why fix the dirt? Just give me clean water. God, you can do this. Just give me clean water. Now, this is the part that we do not get, and I want to read something to you. I want to, this is out of a scientific application here. I want to share some things that I've, I've garnered through my study that may be beneficial to you understanding this scripture. It says, Acacia sapwood, which is predominant in that area, is known for the removal or the neutralization of metals that contaminate water which would cause water to be very bitter. Jamie Buckingham, an expert in desert conditions, wrote in the book, A Way Through the Wilderness. Listen to this. He noted that the water of Marah was filled with magnesium, which is a powerful laxative that would have expelled mostly amoeba, parasites, and death-dealing germs the Israelites would have brought with them out of Egypt. Magnesium also forms the basis of a drug called dolomite, which athletes use when training in extreme hot weather to control heart fibrillation and muscle spasms. It supports strong bones, teeth, and proper muscle and nerve function. God had provided the right medicine to purge the Israelite systems and prepare their bodies for the long, arduous journey through the desert. Why do you think he let them travel for three days without finding water and allowed them to consume the water that they had at the moment in which they arrived to drink the other water? 
What if the water that they had brought out of Egypt was contaminated? What if the water that they brought out of Egypt was introducing into their lives certain parasites and certain amoeba and whatnot that would ultimately be detrimental to their health? God who created all things, who understands all things, who understands... We're just now getting caught up with Scripture regarding science. God who created the water, God who created the wood, He knows what they did not know, and He had an answer because what He was doing was setting them up for a life of health and prosperity. He literally was doing a million-man body cleanse and establishing for them something that their minds couldn't even begin to wrap itself around. There are things that God is doing in our lives, in the journey, in the process. He is accomplishing in you that you have no idea about and you're so short-sighted and Trent is so short-sighted that I'm just looking at one thing when God is doing a masterful thing for my betterment. Do you know what he ends up saying at the end of this scripture? He reveals something to them. I am the God who heals you. What? What does healing have to do with water unless this application is legitimate? He's basically saying in that moment, this is who I'm going to be for you, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And it starts now. And then the thing you don't understand, I'm working through. They're, they drink your stuff, man. And I'm going to be serious with you. There's a laxative component to it. They ain't moving far very fast. Right? But their bodies are being cleansed and they have purged the camp from the contaminated water. The three-day journey accomplishes this. And now their supply will be rekindled at the next destination, right? After their bodies have been cleansed. At a place where 12 wells resided. And ample shade. But the cleansing was needed first. You want to talk about the great physician? Man, he was performing some serious medical application here, and they had no idea they were in the doctor's office. And there's things God's doing in you, through you right now, in this process, you have no idea about. And you're wanting to complain about not having this, that, or another. And God's saying, believe me, you don't want that. It'll keep you sick. It'll keep you ill. It'll keep you poor. It'll keep you broken. It'll keep you lacking. We can't even begin to understand the layered work of God. Then the scripture says this, okay? Scripture says this, there the Lord issued a ruling and instructions for them and put them to the test. To the test, Nassah means to train or proved. What was happening right here was their, their trust muscles were being challenged. He didn't want their trust muscles to suffer uh, uh, atrophy. You know what I'm talking about? Derek knows what I'm talking about. You don't, you don't work a muscle, man. It, it, it's going to get weak. It's going to get weak. Going to get weak. When astronauts came back from space, first few flights into space, 
Many of the astronauts will make it back to the Earth because of the lack of resistance, the lack of, of gravity, the, gra the normal gravity. Their bodies had weakened physically. They had gotten weak. They had suffered atrophy. Their physical bodies hadn't been challenged to maintain the strength. In this situation, what God was doing, He was challenging their, their, their trust muscles. And some of you are in this season right now of your life where your trust muscles are being challenged. They're really being strengthened in this season. But I want you to know something. When the scripture says he put them to the test, it means trained or proved. I want you to understand this. In the testing, it isn't simply failing or passing. But sometimes it's just to show us where the lack is present. You know? Sometimes it's like that. We need to find out where the extra support is needed. Dwayne and I had come out here, and don't anybody pat Dwayne on the back. He sounds like he's been laboring for the kingdom all week. But that ain't the case. But uh, we were out here a few weeks ago, and uh, uh, his, his masterful skill of, of fabrication was, on, was put on display for the, the handrail running down the sidewalk. And we'll give Dwayne an applause, right? He did such a good job. Okay, that's enough. No, no, no. His head will be, he won't get out that door. All right? His head will be so big. Listen, and so we're out there. Now, listen, we could have saved a little money. And we could have put those sports, instead of every six feet, we, we could have put them every... 15 feet. Now it would have looked good. It would have looked okay. But the moment weight was applied to those rails, exposed weakness. Once it was tested without the support that was needed, the more rails start to bow a little bit. You better hope there's some elasticity to them, some kickback, some rebound. Those things would just slump in between the support. And that's what the testing does in our life sometimes. It shows us not to. Not, not to destroy us, but it shows us where the lack is at, where the support needs to be placed in our lives, where our faith needs to be fortified. And so the Lord is testing them. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians. Can you pull that up, Clark? Can you pull that up? This is what Paul says. And we're going to be closing, guys. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, my power is made perfect in weakness. Your weakness, recognized, gives a place for God's power to rest and to show out. But sometimes our weakness isn't recognized until it's tested. We're tested. And then once it's tested and we see the weak area, and we see the bend where it's not carrying enough weight, man, then the spirit goes in there and it becomes the support. And it only stays strong as long as the support stays in place. You see? You with me? Listen to what he says here. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. See? In my weakness, Christ's power, now my weakness is made strong. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The scripture says this. We'll read through it and close. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God, listen, and do what is right in his eyes, act, not be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer. 
If you pay attention, listen to his commands, right? Right? I will not bring on you any diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals Jehovah Rapha. God may very well be doing a cleansing in your life through a pretty difficult spot. What I would ask of you, my brothers and my sisters, is to trust him in that. Trust him that he knows what he's doing. And what he's doing is beneficial to you, Jennifer. You know what I mean, sister? It's beneficial to you, Reuben. It's beneficial to Aiden, to the young and to the old. It's beneficial. Trust him in that. Because he may be doing something that you may not recognize now, but down the road, you're going to benefit from it, from the process. One of the sweet things about the story, the account that we just read, is that when God saw the bitter water, the purpose he was working, and he points the wood to Moses, or Moses to the wood and says, throw it in the water, and Moses throws it in the water, and God takes the bitter water and he makes it drinkable. I thought to myself, now I can think about you guys in the same application. Wouldn't it be really sweet if we could be that kind of wood for God? that what God is doing in and through you is he's taking you into his hands and he's placing you in the lives of other people who are experiencing something truly bitter. To benefit them. You've been injected into the life of someone hurting, someone broken, someone struggling, someone lost. And all they see you as is a piece of wood. But God sees you as the answer, his response into their bitterness, into the bitterness of their situation and their circumstances. And he's placing you there. And all of a sudden, the things that were so bitter in their lives they start saying, man, this, this don't taste quite as bad. And I don't know what the change was. But you know. You had become the agent. The tree. The wood. That God had placed there. Now what a crazy thought leaving 100 hops away this morning. That we would pray such a crazy thought. And say, God, don't make me great this morning. Just make me wood. Make me wood in the lives of other people. Make me wood in the life of the kingdom. Make me wood in the life of those struggling and those broken and those who are bitter, who have been exposed to the bitter outcomes, who have been subject to the choices of other people, who are so wounded, who are 
who are expiring. God, just make me wood in their lives. And you know, there's no time in the scripture do we ever find that wood really being celebrated. You know what I mean? There's no one coming back and saying, hey man, get some more of that wood in case we run across some more bitter water. You may not get the pat on the back. You may not get the celebration, Jay. No one may throw a party for you or a parade. Oh, but God knows you've been faithful wood. Willing to be laid in bitter water for the benefit of the consumer. That's a pretty powerful thought, pretty powerful prayer that we'd pray this morning. In the name of Jesus, stand with me. Carrie, would you come just for a moment? I'm just going to ask you, listen, guys, uh, I'm just going to ask you for a moment, just a moment, just to, just to bow your heads, okay? Just to bow your heads, just for a moment. Just for a moment, yeah. your eyes closed. I, I want you to think about God. Just see. Let's listen. Let's listen for Him. Let's just listen for Him. Because He's wanting to speak to you this morning. Because what's happened, if you is you've gotten caught in this work of God and you don't understand it, And what's risen up in you has been some bitterness and complaining. Not complaining about this person or that person, but deep down in your spirit you're complaining about, about God. And sometimes what creeps into your heart is, God, you don't understand. And what God is saying to you this morning is, son or daughter, Trust me because you don't understand. Trust me. I'm Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, the Father who heals. And I want to heal you this morning. And not only am I wanting to heal you, I'm wanting to take you And to everyone else, you'll look like a piece of wood. Just a splinter in the midst of life's chaos. Just a splinter. But I'm going to place you in the right place. And I'm going to invest in you attributes that I'm going to use to convert bitterness into sweetness. If that's you this morning, what I'm going to do is, and we're not going to, we're not going to take long. We're just going to open the altars for a few moments. And if that's you this morning, and you're saying, I want to trust God in the process and what he's doing. And in the process, I want God to use me. God, make me wood. If that's you this morning, would you come and pray? Not, not to me but to Jesus. Pour your heart out to Jesus. Respond to Jesus this morning.